Okay, we're going to begin looking out of the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, chapter 12, verses 9 through 14. So you might need to have your Bibles, and having your Bibles isn't a bad thing. And so you're going to find out, I'm going to pull out a bunch of books here in a little bit. So you can go ahead and do that. Matter of fact, this, this suitcase is really heavy. And so you'll hear it. You can hear how heavy that is. And I'll be showing you all types of little pieces of literature that you can look at later. And so um, I'll put these up here, not being uh, disrespectful or non-sacred, but this will help you kind of see the kind of things that you might want to get your hands on as time goes on. But if you open Ecclesiastes chapter 12, and we're going to look at verses 9 through 14. And as you open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes, you know that the book of Ecclesiastes was written by Solomon, David's son, who was uh, born out of wedlock. Was Bathsheba's son, and we know that Solomon was a man who sought after God's wisdom, and as a very wise individual, he struggled with the notion that his wisdom brought him great fame, his wisdom brought him great wealth, but what his wisdom did not bring him was happiness, it really didn't, it, it just brought him more frustrations, and so at the end of the day, this is what he writes, and this is what I want you to think about, and is the value of what we're doing this evening. He writes, not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. Those are sayings, wise thoughts, ideas. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and, he, and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads. They're collective sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. By the way, that's... Hebraic parallelism we just saw right there. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books, there is no end. And much study wearies the body. Not all has been, not now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. And when we look at this passage... There's a couple of things that stick out that really have profound relevance to what we're talking about this evening. One thing that we know again and again is that we use language to illustrate and to open up reality. We use words to help shape a picture of what we see and help us to communicate with one another. Our words are both can be damaging and can be uplifting. We know that out of the book of James. The pastor's been speaking about that just a few weeks back. So we know the power of the tongue. But what's very important to understand is, and Solomon spent a lot of time talking about this, that how we shape the messages that we share oftentimes will allow either the listener to either hear that information and retain it or simply hear it and it just falls by the wayside. And so that's the point of what he says, the wise sayings are like goads. If you, if you, some of you might know this, you know, when they would have the, the oxen in front of the cart and they'd be pulling the riders along, in the back of the cart, or it really was in the front of the cart, but behind the animal, there were these spikes. And the reason the spikes were there is if the animal got a little feisty and decided to kick, well, the animal got a rude awakening because the spike would be there and it would stab them. And so you can imagine maybe your parents did that to you. Or maybe you were in Catholic school. And there's nothing wrong with Catholic school. I have 
plenty of relatives that went to Catholic school. You did something wrong, wham! You know what I mean? You learn pretty quick, don't do that. And so your parents might have also taught you through some similar process, and maybe they used your backside. But they got the point across, literally. And so that's how the animals were taught. If they kicked, they got stabbed. So they learned not to kick. But the point that the writer was making here, the teacher is, is that when we say things that really stick, it's just the same kind of notion. It embeds itself in our memories that we remember it. Um, to make it very contemporary, marketing agencies do this all the time. They've got little slogans or little phrases or images or designs or a logo that help it embed in, in ourselves in our mind. If I showed you the Coca-Cola or the Pepsi or the Nike Swish, if I showed you those images, you would know that right away. If I said the word just, a phrase just do it, you would connect it to Nike. I'm not promoting that stuff. My, my point is, is that they understand that it's a biblical principle, and that is we think carefully as speakers when we're talking to those around us, how do we communicate the word of God in a way which allows it to stick? And then he goes on to say, and this is very important for all of us to keep in mind, be warned, and there's only one warning in here, in this ending, ending passage, and that's quite interesting. Only one true warning. He tells us about the care about using our words and our deeds and how, how anything that might be viewed as being hidden will be brought to light. But this is the point. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. So when we're thinking about the word of God, it is important that we understand that we have to rightly handle it because we don't want to add something to it. And adding to it, we think a lot of times of an addition means something piled onto it. But that is, not, that, is, that is only one side of the story. If I take something away, in effect, I have modified it. And that's the true rendering. You can't modify the word of God. And so whether it's taking a truth away from the scripture, away from the word of God, or adding something to the word of God which should not be there, something accumulative, either one is a grave mistake. And so, you know, I know as believers, we don't want to make that mistake. And so that comes the value of learning the Greek text. Now, we're going to get into some fun stuff. So uh, that's just a little bit of a biblical background, a little bit of a passage for you all to ponder, to think about. But take time to ponder those types of words. You know, you got people that, you know, in the case of Solomon, we haven't seen anything quite like him in the history of humanity, like John the Baptist. Some of the words these folks have shared are pretty important for us to think about very carefully. Well, for the rest of the evening, we're going to look at a little bit of the overview of Greek. And so that's our, our second piece here. And this is going to take a little bit of time. We're going to talk a little about the Septuagint. Septuagint. Has anybody ever heard of that word, Septuagint? Yes? No? A little afraid to raise your hand? Okay, Septuagint comes from the Latin word, and it comes from the prefix, which is sept, S-E-P-T, which has the no notion of seven. And it was because it had 70 uh, Greek scholar, Greek slash Jewish scholars worked on translating the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, into Greek. And then it was shortly after that. And this happened late se uh, 2nd century B.C., a couple, 300 years before Christ came into the world. Because why? At that time, the world was moving more and more into a Greek-speaking world, a lot like we have today with English. Uh, you go over to some countries. I mean, we're only, we're just a puny 400, billion, uh, 400 million people. We really are quite small as a nation. 
Many of nations like China with close to 2 billion, I mean, they swallow us up. Yet Chinese, if you go to China, the Chinese learn English as their second language. Why? Why is that? And this is going to get a little bit in the weeds, but it'll help you understand. It's because English is the language, the lingua franca, the language of business. So when people want to do business, when they want to do business transactions, they speak in English. And so your folks that are going, you know, and they go overseas and they meet someone who's a business person in other nations, they've learned English because if they want to do business international, they're going to have to do it in English. And that doesn't matter if you're in India, if you're somewhere over in Europe, the United States of America, it's all the same. And that's how Hellenistic Greek had become. You had the, you had the great empire, the, the, the Greek, the Hellenistic Greeks had moved in and, and saturated most of Europe. And then they'd also gotten over into, of course, Asia. And as they began to uh, conquer these other nations, they mainly imposed their language. Now, why did they impose their language? Why does anyone impose language on other people? Can you think of why that might be? This is very important, by the way. I, I don't go down these rabbit trails if they're not important, believe me. Why would they do that? Why would a nation who takes over another nation impose the other people learn their language? Any thoughts? It's an overhead question. Does anybody can answer? So they can say we don't understand? Early on, for sure. For sure. What about once they learn the language? What happens with language? Go ahead. Yes. Yes. It is the most profound way of assimilating cultures. When you teach people a new language... They actually, there's always a culture tied to a language. We use the phrase in our language, it's raining like cats and dogs. Now, when I was over in South Korea and lived there for a year, if we said that and I had one of my uh, North, uh, South Korean friends, they did. They'd, they'd look up. They, they, were, they were a little alarmed because they were looking for animals falling out of the sky. They did. They, they didn't know anything else because for us, it's an idiom. It's a phrase. Now, I'm sharing that with you because when you read our Greek text, and I have a Greek Bible in here. Oops, up here. I already put up here. This is a Greek Bible, Greek New Testament right here. When you read a Greek New Testament, it's filled with idioms. That is, the Greeks had their own way of saying things too, and they weren't meant to be literal. It was meant to make a point. So when you read that, you're going to go, what? What, what? I don't understand that. And that's because they had their own way of saying things. And so we'll get into that. That may not happen until after Christmas because you may not be ready for it before Christmas. That does take a little bit more time to get into uh, because it's, it's constructed very differently. And it's, it's just not literal. But that's how you assimilate a culture. So here the Hellenistic Greeks came in and they went through and they changed the language of all these people. Now, why was that significant? You know, in Scripture it says that when Jesus was born... The world was, at that time, it was his hour to arrive, and at later point, it was his hour to die. When he arrived, it was the perfect time. At that moment, the world had been laid bare by the Greeks, and now Greek was the common language of many nations. So as people learned that language, now you could communicate that to millions and millions and millions of people, all in one language. And that's why the Septuagint was ultimately developed about two, 250 years before Jesus arrived. The, the, the foundation was being laid. And so the Jewish 
working with Greek philosophers at that time and, and liturgical folks, created the Septuagint, which is the Old Testament written in Greek. Now, Greek is a different language. It's very different than Hebrew. Hebrew is a language that you read from right to left and use what's called holograms. You use, use almost looks like little pictures. Greek is very different. It's a very scientific language. Hebrew is usually nouns and verbs. You're going to think, oh no, it's going to be grammar. I knew it. We will have to use, I won't use, try to use the word grammar too much here, but it will be the, the design of the language. It is how the language is designed. We have our own design of our language. The Greek language is designed very differently. We say things in certain word order, right? We have a thing called punctuation. We say an idea and we put a little dot at the end. I mean, I don't know how creative that was, but that's what we do. And if we say it as a question, we put a little squiggly and then put a dot underneath that little squiggly called a question mark. I mean, it sounds kind of silly, but those are the little images we use, and we just take them for granted. This is what's scary. When the Greek text was written, they didn't have any punctuation. No punctuation. They didn't have word order. Word order didn't really matter. So you'll have an idea start with a verb, a clause, not the subject. Instead of us saying the boy hit the ball, it could be the ball hit the boy. And you'll read that very differently. Wait a minute, the ball hit the boy? No, no, the boy hit the ball. But in the Greek language, it might be written as the ball hit the boy or hit the ball the boy. What do I do with that? The Greek language gives us clues, and we'll get into that later. But I want you to understand, the beauty of that is when you read the Greek text, many times the writers, when they start an idea, they'll put the most important thought at the beginning of the idea or at the very end because they're not worried about word order. They're worried about communicating a message. So when we read it in English, many times we miss that. We don't know what Paul was trying to emphasize there because we're reading it as a translation. We're going, oh, that's nice. But we're not reading that he was trying to emphasize either a person, a place, an idea, a verb, you know, some kind of action idea. You, we miss that in English, but it's very clear in the Greek. And so we'll get into more of that later as well. So that, that's not to kind of scare you. It's to let you know that's the beauty of Greek. Another thing is the Greek has... Um, Oh, it's going to get down to weeds a little bit, and I don't want to scare you all, but they, it has ideas that don't translate into English. They don't. They just don't. And so you'll find that we will struggle at times trying to make a clean translation. It's not a one-for-one. One. Um, I'll give you a good example. Imagine I, took, I, took, I take you right now, and let's say I transported you to Ethiopia, the southern part, no, excuse me, the northern part, let's go to the northern part, in which they don't see, ever see snow, too hot, too de- uh, deserty, too arid, and now you're over there, never see snow, and you read the scripture where it says, or you, you, you read about the notion that Jesus, his blood, will wash it white as snow. How do you communicate that to somebody? They don't, they've never seen snow, so what do you do with that? How do you communicate that? You know what they did when they translated this into that, that uh, tribe's uh, language? 
they found there was a white flower that was pure white, no blemishes on it. They placed that in the case of snow because the point of the scripture is to communicate an idea. It wasn't to get caught up into snow. It was to get caught up into the notion that it's pure. There's no blemish. And so that's part of the challenges that we all face. And the challenges that, that, are, that are faced when you read your own, bib, your, your own Bibles that are translated in English, you're going to have that challenge. And the translators have that same challenge. So a little bit down in the weeds. Okay, now let's go a little farther. Now I'm going to help you feel really good. When we look at the Greek text, particularly the New Testament, I'm used to sitting. I'm not used to being that person. I probably look a little uncomfortable. She's not used to, might have like a, maybe, maybe if I could put a little request in it, if you like, not, not but one of those little high stools, like a little high chair. Yeah, but, but I don't need the bib. Just, just a little high chair. I'll eat before I come here. <laughs> so, but uh, anyway, uh, when you look at the Greek text, there were thousands and thousands of manuscripts that were copied and the great part about it is like the hebrew scribes these are the same scribes the same individuals the same practice they applied the same technique when they had written the hebrew text as they did the greek text and this is what they do they go across a line of text and let's say they're copying scripture and they go and the good thing is with greek it goes from left to right so if i'm up looking from left to right, which is good. That's how we read too. And they'll go across and they'll, they'll write the letters down and at the end, they count up all the letters and they list it. And they do the next line, count all the letters and list it. Now the value of that is when they finish, each scribe can look and say, did I have the same number of letters as the previous scribe, as the previous scroll? And if the answer is no, then they have to go back and fix some things. But this is how they were able to keep the same letters. Because they didn't have copiers. They didn't have computers. They didn't have all those things. It was all handwritten. And so the encouraging thing is, as we found more and more of the manuscripts, most of the manuscripts we have in Scripture are parchments. There are parts. Some include multiple books of the New Testament. Some include just one book. Some include partial books of the New Testament. These are called usials. Um, this is always a weird word for me. Usials. U-N-C-I-A-L-S. Usuals. And in, in simple terms, they're New Testament manuscripts. We have thousands of them. The good news is when you look at those and you compare them, the ones that are, we have many that are very reliable, they do not compete on biblical issues of significance. They might have a couple of spelling errors here and there, but they don't have conflicts when it comes to issues of doctrine. Y'all follow what I'm saying? That's important to you as a believer. Because when you pick up the Bible, anyone would ask is, why should I believe it? Why, why should I believe this? People have gone to the stake and burned at the stake to keep the scriptures alive. We have it at great cost today. But the scripture, when you look at it, especially when it was translated from the Greek, much effort was applied to make sure it was kept clean and pure. Now, going a little deeper, that share something with you you want to maybe put in your little back pocket to make you feel really good as a believer there are many prophecies in the old testament about the birth of jesus christ his life and his death if we were to i'm a math guy if we were to equate that to a mathematical scheme we know this much if all the prophecies jesus fulfilled it by his birth 
by his life and his death as one person, prophecies, fulfillment in Christ, if those had all been happenstance, this is the equation of that, pro- of that probability. Let's say, hmm, Charles. I'm going to take Charles. Come on up here, Charles. I'm going to take Charles. Charles, have you ever been to Texas? Mm-hmm. You've been to Texas? Great. What part of Texas? Mm-hmm. What part of Texas? Dallas. Dallas. All right. Now, you know Texas is a really big state. Big mm-hmm. state. Okay. Let's say I were to blindfold you. Oh, you bet. No problem. Let's say I were to blindfold you, take you in a helicopter down to Dallas, and let's say I were, I were to put $1 coins up to your kneecaps all across the city of Dallas and drop you into Dallas and say, I want you to reach down there blindfold and pick out a very specific $1 coin. What do you think about that? Pretty significant, right? Now let's say, let's make it bigger than Dallas. Let's make it the state of Texas. And I'm going to take you in a helicopter, and I'm going to randomly drop you somewhere in the great state of Texas, knee-deep in $1 coins. And I'm going to have you reach down there on your first try and pick out the exact one. Of course, you're blindfolded. You can't tell. The probability of you picking out that exact coin, knee-deep in the entire state of Texas, is the probability that Jesus fulfilled all the scriptures, all the prophecies, birth, life, and death. That's reality. Thanks. Thanks, Charles. Thank you. It's pretty staggering. It's pretty staggering. And that's why your Bible is pretty important. And so when you look at Scripture, and you think about the Greek text, it has value because it's going to help you as you think about how you, how you think about the Word of God, how you think about the person of Jesus Christ. He didn't come by accident. He came at the perfect time. The Septuagint written in Greek had just been laid out. 250 years later, he arrives, and now the New Testament writers, the those, the authors, such as the apostles, Paul, of course, Luke, written so much of the New Testament, all in Greek, would allow us to have a pretty good handle on what was said. And the great news is, as believers, we have a much better handle with the Greek language about what God has said than we did with the Hebrew, because the Greek language is very rich, it's very scientific. We will feel frustrations, and we do. Some of, some of Paul's writings are very very difficult to translate extremely difficult i mean he he they even talk about he knows how difficult sometimes the things that he writes down are to understand it's because sometimes he uses words that are found nowhere else they're used one time in all of scripture and he used them so now what do you do with that you're really struggling he was a brilliant man but because of his very broad vocabulary it makes it a challenge for us today as we try to look back to understand what he was trying to communicate to us as believers. And so uh, the last point I want to make before we um, jump into some of the, the different pieces and the one key lesson I want to teach tonight, which is the alphabet, is that when we look at the scripture itself and you think about, I want to put this, you think about the words that have been written, you think about people like Paul you think about what these writers were trying to communicate all words gather their meaning based on their context and maybe if there's nothing else that you hear tonight this is maybe the most important point all words have their meaning based on the context 
you'll have to keep doing that again and again when you're working with the Greek in the upcoming weeks and months. I can use the word light, L-I-G-H-T, as a group. What are some of the meanings of the word light, L-I-G-H-T? Just fire them out. What are some meanings of it? Weight. Something's light, something's heavy. Great. Illumination. Anything else? Absence of darkness. Anything else? Can it sometimes be used as a noun, like a traffic light or a light switch? Now it's an adjective, isn't it? It's describing a switch. You see how that word's starting to change? I can say it, it lighted up the room. Now it's a verb. Wait a minute. I just used one word in a lot of different ways. Use it as a noun. Use it as an adjective to describe something. I use it as a verb, as an action. Different meanings. Words get their meaning based on how they're used. And that's very important to understand because in, when we're looking at Scripture, it's the same way. You're going to look at words, and you can't just say, well, because it was used like this in another place, it means it's used the same way here. Very dangerous. Can it be that way? Yes. Is it necessarily that way? Absolutely not. Words get their meaning based on how they're used in the sentence. So that's very important to understand. Uh, we use the language when we're talking about uh, hermeneutics. Is that, a, is, that a, is that a known word to anybody in here? Hermeneutics? Hermeneutics? Okay. This is your fun word for the night. Hermeneutics is the study of Scripture taking it from then to now. And it's a cycle. And it goes back and forth. I look at what was said then, I try to make it relevant to now. And then as I begin to study it more, I go back to then to make sure that what I thought I'm making it to now is indeed accurate, and I make some adjustments, and then I go back to now. And I go back and forth, and it's called the hermeneutical spiral. And I go back and forth, trying to make sure that what I'm doing is biblically sound. Because this is the danger I get into, and you might have heard this phrase in the past as believers. If I use a text out of context, I'm using it as a proofed text. And you might say... It's 6.30 at night, and I have no idea what you just said. Simplified terms is, if I just use a verse, and I take it out of its context within Scripture, I can use it to support anything I want. And, and you see that happen. Um, I don't want to mention groups, but you'll see that, uh, it, particularly in either hate groups or... Um, if I just want to try to support something that might be normally outside of normal Christianity, but I want to introduce an idea and say, hey, this group ought to be considered as a, um, I'll just use a general term and, and not offending anybody here, it's not my point, but let's say I could use, I could find scriptural verses and, and they're there if I take them out of context to say, you know what, it's okay to murder children. It's okay. It's okay. It's even okay to steal. You can find scripture to try to support that if I take it out of context. Now, once I put it back into context, and you look at it, and you look at what the writer was saying all around it, you're like, what? That doesn't make any sense. Where are they going here? But that, that's what happens. 
And so what you want to keep in mind is as you're reading the scriptures and you begin doing translations, you keep things in context because both sentences and even words get their meaning based on the context. Okay, now we're ready to jump into our alphabet. And so I think I've cued, she might have cued something. We may have to dim lights toward the front so everybody can see it. And you're going to get your first little packet of goodies. Can we see that? Uh, maybe we're going to need to go to a brighter background on that. Uh, whoa, that is really dim. Um, see if we can find, as I pass these out, see if we can find maybe a different uh, image of that. Okay, yeah, thank you. I'm just going to take one, there you go, thank you. Now don't get, in, don't get intimidated. We're only going to look at a couple of pages in here tonight. Like one or two, not much. The one I want you to look at primarily is going to be on page 18 and then 19. This is going to get us started. And how it will normally work as these are getting passed out in the future, and this is going to make you all feel a little better, I'm an interactive kind of person. I don't believe the sage on the stage approach. I like to see you all talking, interacting, and working with one another. So some of you might get a little bit uncomfortable early on, but believe me, it does. It, it really gets pretty comfortable in, in time. And that is you're going to be talking with one another. You're going to be interacting in groups with one another. You're going to work with one another. Uh, it's, this is not a passive um, experience. You're going to need to interact with it. And so you'll be practicing some ideas. And you'll be sharing these with one another because it's the only you're going to get better at it. My phrase for you will be, it must pass through the lips and the fingertips in order for you to remember it. The lips and the fingertips. So you're going to say stuff and you're going to write stuff while you're here, not to be taxing on you, but in order for you to retain it. Because if you don't write it and you don't say it, you're not going to retain it. Now, another, another myth that I'm going to quickly dispel is that some folks think, well, if I was only 12 years old or 10 years old, I could, I could remember that stuff like, you know, now. The reality is, we know as far as the brain works, for all intents and purposes, whatever you could have learned, even as a 10, 12, 15, 16-year-old person, you can learn regardless of your age. The, the way our brains work, it's amazing. Now, I, I'll t I'm 44 years old, and I know that I don't... I don't memorized like I did when I was 16, 18 years old. But the reality is I can learn the same stuff I learned then now. It might take me just a little bit longer, but that's okay. I, I have the capacity to learn it, and all of you do too. So don't let that uh, scare you. Okay, oh, good, here we go. That's, that's wonderful. Okay, I'm going to move up this way so I can kind of go through this with you. There are 24 letters in the Greek alphabet, and... We're just going to get, I just want to get you exposed to them tonight, and then I'm actually going to have you write them out, and you're going to practice saying them just a little bit, and then we'll already be to our time. And, so, and that's perfectly fine, because I just want to get you exposed to the alphabet tonight. Um, the first letter, you'll see on the far left is the capital, and the one to the right is the lowercase. Now keep this in mind. In the original Greek text, because there weren't sentences, capital letters were only used in the case of proper nouns, like the name of a lake or the name of a person 
something that was a, or name of a city. Otherwise, it was all lowercase. So even Jesus, which is Jesus in the Greek, that was all, his, his first letter was capitalized, but other than that, the rest was all lowercase. And so the first letter is alpha. You guys can see that, right? It looks like an A. That one isn't, isn't too far off. You feel, yeah, you're feeling pretty good. Now it's all going to get a little weird. Then you have beta. And you're thinking, that, that's not too bad, maybe. And then you go to gamma. Now, the reason I'm teaching the alphabet and the reason the alphabet is so important is when we start wanting to use biblical helps, if you're, you know how it was when you were in kindergarten or in first grade or second grade, and they asked you, they gave you a vocabulary quiz, right? And you had to go to the dictionary and look up the meaning of the word. If you didn't know your alphabet, it was pretty rough. Oh, xylophone. Oh, where's that letter? I don't know where that word is. And if you start with A, B, and C, you're getting all frustrated. It's because back toward the backside of the alphabet. And so that's why understanding the alphabet is really meaningful because it will help you when you use your biblical helps later as well as when you're looking at words. So it's important you get this down. So alpha, beta, gamma, delta, epsilon. And the, the sound, I'll give you the sounds in a little bit, but epsilon, zeta, and that sounds like the, the ones early on aren't overly complicated, but zeta has, and it's not zeta, has more of that ZD. You can see that's kind of the sound to it. Eta sounds more like an A. Eta, like in the word eight or wait. Eta. That one's a particularly important letter. It's very common in usage in the Greek language. Theta. Sometimes you'll see that particular letter, letter a lot of times because it comes, it's used in the word theos, which is the word for God. Theta. Iota. Kappa. Lambda, mu, I'll just slide down, nu, xi, that's an unusual one, you're going to have to practice in that, xi, like xylophone, xi, then you have omicron, pi, now what's going to confuse folks is the next letter sounds like an R, but it looks like a P, and we can say it's rho, so you have pi, rho, sigma, Sigma is kind of interesting. Sigma will be used, it'll be written out three different ways. The capital S is not a problem. It kind of looks like that, um, if you're using Excel, it looks like that summation. Have you guys ever seen that? The summation sign? And so for sigma, but you have two different types of, I'll use the English version, little S's. And so, and both of them are used. The one to the left, it looks like a little circle with a line across. That's one that's most common, unless the letter is at the end of a word, and then they tend to use what looks like a funny little S there. Then you have tau, upsilon, phi, chi, psi, and omega. And those are your 24 letters. And so we'll go through one more time because I want you to hear me say them, and then you're going to have to practice this. Now, I'm going to help you practice that, and each and every session, the plan will be is that we'll have maybe prayer and some scriptural discussion the first 10 to 15 minutes, kind of as we get settled. We'll do about 30 minutes of more of a discussion lesson, and then the last 15 minutes will be time for you to practice what we've talked about and put it into action. Let's go over again. Alpha. You guys want to say this with me? Alpha. Beta. Gamma. Delta. Epsilon, 
zeta, eta, theta, iota, kappa, lambda, mu, nu, psi, omicron, pi, rho, sigma, tau, upsilon, phi, chi, psi, omega. All right. And what you want to do is start getting these letters into your mind. You have them in your handout here, and you'll see them listed, and it's on page 18. It'll say the English name of the letter, and that's what we just enunciated there. You'll see the Greek name of the letter, and they're trying to help you at least see it and how, it would, how you would enunciate it. And you're going to go, wow, I can't speak that yet in Greek. And so don't worry about that because um, that can get a little bit intimidating at times. And then there's the capital letters and the small letters. Again, you want to really get the small letters down because those are the letters you're going to see most often in the language. That's what you're going to see most of the time. And then last but not least, you have the English equivalent and then how you would pronunciate it on the right. And so this is really helpful to you, really handy. Um, this text is by Wenham. Some of it's going to be a little complicated. Now, what we'll do in, in the future, please make sure you bring this handout with you next time because we're going to start working through the first 20 pages. It's important that you understand how the, the language is designed because if you don't, you're going to get frustrated. It's When I was in school, I had a really bad second grade English teacher. And I mean, I almost failed second grade. I almost didn't make it. I was just, I had, I, I could tell you that teacher's name to this day and I won't say it. It's one of those that sticks in your mind for the wrong reason. And I really didn't like that class. And so for years, it took me a long time to learn the language. And I struggled a long time. I started learning other languages and was a lot happier with the other languages than I was the English language. But as you learn other languages, you get better with your own language. And so um, most folks who know me today would say, wow, you don't have any problem at all. You write a lot, you publish, you speak a lot. Why are you having problems with it? But you have a bad learning experience that can really set you back. And so we have words like grammar and syntax. It just sounds horrible. I mean, I wouldn't get up in the morning for that. So... So we want to think more about, we're, we're just looking at the design of the language so that you and I, when we're looking at the scriptures, can make sense of it. Otherwise, we're just going to get frustrated by it. We're going, I don't understand what they're saying there. And so we'll do a little bit of foundational work, and then we're going to get into some really, it's going to get pretty complicated some nights. And, and that's okay. Um, don't ever get frustrated if you don't get it all right away. I'm going to be giving to you over the course of these next 14, 15 weeks, what folks might spend a year doing and they're doing, you know, they're spending four or five hours in class every week as well as an hour or two outside of class in addition to what they're inside of class every week. You're going to be getting 30, 45 minutes and then some practice time during the week. So you have to keep in mind. I don't want you all getting frustrated, so just bear with me. But that's the alphabet. Now, this is what I need you to do. This is your takeaway. I need some helpers again. Look what the church is giving to you. They're giving you gifts. These 
are your index cards, and these are very, very, very important to you. Uh, every person will need one pack. One pack. These will have to be broken out. Every person will need one pack. This is what you're going to need to do. And I'm going to show you what it's going to look like at the end. And that way, you can get to the end and you won't feel quite so frustrated. One of the best things that I, a tool that I really learned and was extremely helpful, and I'm not really a paper person, to be candid. I'm, I'm just not. But I learned how valuable this was. I talked about lips and fingertips. We just did some talking through our lips. So we said it, we heard it, and we saw it. But now I need you to write it. These index cards are your friend. What you're going to do is you're going to get your index card packet. And you're going to open it up. And on each card, you're going to write down a letter. You're going to write down the uppercase letter. And on the second card, you're going to write down the lowercase letter. Because you're going to need to see what that, what that letter is and understand what that letter is for each one. And what you're going to do is you take your little cards. And we have pens. There they come. Dun, dun, dun. See, we came prepared. You'll write down the letter on this side, on the blank side. And don't worry about whether or not you have perfect penmanship. If I'm writing alpha... I'll just put my, and there's actually guidance in your little handout how to do it. I'm just going to take my pen, and there's my alpha. That's my lowercase alpha, okay? And you can see it up there. My beta, as you can see it up there. And then your gamma. Your gamma is actually kind of fun. A lot of people get, they get real creative with their, if you look at calligraphy with gamma, I really like gamma. It's a favorite letter. That's just a little side note. But you're going to write your letters down. You can, I mean, I want to promise if you do capital and lowercase on the same card, you'll probably get a little more out of it if you do capital on one and lowercase on the other because then you're going to get to make sure that you know it. Because in some of the cases, if um, like Delta, for example, even though it's not complicated, it looks pretty different. If you slide down just a little bit um, on that, on that uh, image up there, Becky, um, another good one, Ada. See, Ada is pretty different. It almost looks like an H. But actually, it's, and, it, and it's, it sounds, like I said, like A. And you don't think of that when you look at that particular image as it sounds like an A. But that's what it sounds like. And so some of the letters are pretty significantly different, capital to lowercase. What you want to do is write the letter on this side and then write the meaning of that letter, how you say it, like eta or kappa or lambda. Write that on the back and then also write down Maybe how that letter sounds. Now, the reason you're doing this is you want to get it in your head. And by writing it, you'll see it and you'll write it. And then what you're going to do is, this is where it all comes to full circle. And you'll do this now. You can, you'll be able to work on this while we're here. That's why I'm giving you extra time. You're then going to be given a hole punch. And you're going to hole punch your card in that corner. Then, oh yes, we think of it all, right? You're given a clasp. You're going to put that card on that clasp. And at the end of today, you will have your whole alphabet on one single loop. And that's your alphabet. 
And as we go through this, as we go through the next few weeks and the next few months, you'll have a class for your alphabet. You'll have a class for your nouns, for your verbs, as we start to learn some vocabulary. But all that's going to have meaning as you start to understand the alphabet. Because you'll get very frustrated very early if you're looking at the word and you're going, I have no idea what that says. I, I have no idea how to enunciate that. And, and you'll, just get, you'll get frustrated with it. So it's very important that you start to learn the alphabet. We will actually spend, we actually will not do any more new stuff next week. Maybe one, one or two uh, words in Greek. But most of it's going to be very light next week. We're going to spend more time discussing the language itself and then going back to the alphabet. Because the alphabet is so important that you get a handle on it. Very, very important. So again, you'll write the letter, how you describe the letter on the back. You'll, you'll punch holes in it, and we have the hole punches. We'll send those around, and then you'll get a clasp, and you'll clasp. And we've got lots of clasps, and you'll put a clasp on it. And then what I'd like you to do is put that in your purse, put it in your car, whatever. While you're at lunch this week or next week, and as you go through your time, just pull it out and spend about 15 minutes on it. Just run through it once or twice. That's all you have to do. That's it. And, and you don't have to memorize it yet. It, it's frequency. If you try to spend two hours on this on Saturday, you will get very little out of it. But if you spend 15 minutes tomorrow and 15 minutes on Friday and 15 minutes on Saturday and Sunday, you're going to get a lot out of it. It's, it's the short duration of frequencies that will make it meaningful, not trying to do it all in one block. It's like, cram, it's like trying to cram for a test. It doesn't work. Just don't do that. Because you're trying to get this into your long-term memory, and the only way you get it in how the brain works, when you get your long-term memory, is frequency. Not, not spurts. It's a marathon. So I don't mean to get overly specific about that, but as an educator, uh, just done this way too long. I know how the brain works. Uh, that's part of my job, I guess. So think about that carefully. Um, that'll get you started. So anybody unclear what they need to do right now? We have eight more minutes, which is your time now to write your letters out. We can send these around here in just a little bit. These are the hole punches. And everybody's going to need a clasp, and I can start sending those around because everybody's going to need a clasp. You will need these. And then what you'll do in the future next week to make you understand what's going to happen. There you go, ma'am. There you go, sir. What will happen in the future is you will have an opportunity. There you go, ma'am. That's okay. In the future, what you'll do is you'll have an opportunity to meet as teams. And what you'll do is you'll practice saying the letters to one another. You'll quiz one another. Not to make you embarrassed or anything, but it will help you as you start to master those letters. This will be your friend. But believe me, you will be spending time with the alphabet probably from now until Thanksgiving trying to get it down. It does take a little while. I just don't want you getting frustrated. Because that will be, I'll know, I'll know by the se- about the third week of September who's really going to be able to stay in this class. Because <laughs> I'll know based on your, on your attendance and your foot traffic. But I can tell you this candidly and truthfully. Yes, sir. Do you need one? Which one? This one here? Gamma? Oh, that's, it's, the, it's the gamma. This is my stylistic. It's my style. That's basically a block. Yeah, yeah, I, this is my style. And you'll, you'll, see this, you'll see this more often. 
go with this. This is, that's how you'll see it in the text. <laughs> I, and I understand that. You know, I remember when I was learning the language, it's like learning, the, it's like learning English. You know, when you first start learning it and you look at someone's handwriting, you're like, man, I can't read that. And then, and then you meet a teacher who's looked at, like, first graders and kindergartners, hand, you know, handwriting, and it's amazing what they can read. That's how it'll work in this language. Some of the stuff you're going to get overwhelmed by, and then um, others, there you go, thank you. Do you all have a class? Did I give you guys some? No? Okay, there you go. Oh, you do? Okay. So. 24 cards. 24, if you want to have capital letter and, and lowercase and uppercase on the same, or you'll have 48. One with the lowercase, one with the uppercase. That's what you want. Here are your hole punches. You're going to need these. Um, you guys want to start punching holes? You're like, oh, man. Or do you want to wait till next week to punch holes? That's what we have them here for. Punch holes? All right. We got lots of them. Once we get this down like Pat, you guys will actually come to the front, and I'll just have you get them. And so, there you go. Uh, uh, like apple, ah, uh, like uh, alpha is ah. Uh. Yeah, ah, uh, b, and then gamma sounds like a G, g, and then you'll have delta with a D, epsilon with a E. And then zeta is a z, z. And then you'll get into eta, which is more of the a sound. If you slide down, I give you some of the sounds again. They'll transliterate into an i, but that's not how it's going to sound. If you slide, um, let's see, if I can have you slide down, uh, just down a little bit, uh, just a little bit more. Perfect, perfect. Okay. Uh, theta is going to have the th, th, once you get the th, us. Iota is going to move like that short I, eh. And then you're going to have kappa with a K, lambda L. A mu is, sounds like an M. The nu sounds like an N. The xi it sounds really funny. And they'll show it as a KS, but it's really xi. And it sounds like ks, ks. And that's why they have the KS up there. It's ks. It's a, it's, a, it's a strange one. And we'll have that in some letters. It's not as common of a letter in the Greek alphabet as in, in its letter, in the words. You have omicron, which is very common. So it's like more like an O, an A. And then you have pi, that sounds like the P, and the rho, which is an R, and the sigma, which is an S, the tau, which is a T. Upsilon, it says a Y, but it's more like, it sounds a lot more like a U, and it really does sound like a lot more like a U. Um, the phi sounds like an F. The chi has a hard science. K, k. I mean, it's, it's a hard K, very hard. And then psi is, ps, it sounds like, like lips with PS. It has that sound. And then omega, which is more of the long O. Um, um, that's all I can say. It's just I'm trying to think of a um, oct. No, October's not. Um, well, October with the O at the end. October. That part would be yeah. That second O. Does anybody else need a? Yeah. Okay. There you go. There you go. Anybody else? I got plenty of these. I got lots of them. Great. This will help you all out. And once you get into a rhythm, you'll get used to this. And right now, we're just trying to develop a class culture. And so once I say to you in the future is, here are your cards. 
you'll know those hole punches are at the front. You're going to know you need a ring if it's, if it's something new. And if it's not, make sure you always bring your cards with you. The cards are your friends because we're going to add to your rings. I remember when I finished, um, after taking multiple years of Greek and doing a lot of exegetical studies and such and such, I remember I had these rings. My wife probably remembers them. I had these rings, and I had, I had supersized rings. I mean, they were massive, and all these cards were on them. But what was great was when you finished, you're just like, wow. You didn't realize how much you had learned. But when you looked at all those rings and all those cards and you knew all that stuff, you're just like, wow. And you realized how far you had come in the journey. The last thing, as we get ready to close here, that you'll also learn are going to be called paradigms. And those will take us a little time. We'll go through those slowly because those can get people very frustrated. Normally in a regular college Greek class, once the paradigms break out, the class drops by about 75%. You, they like, I think I need to take a different class. I think I got enrolled in the wrong class. So we will really take our time there because it's not as important that you learn the paradigms as you understand what they mean. I don't need you to memorize them. I just need you to understand what they mean because once you understand what they mean, as you read them later, it'll help you out. Okay. As we come to the end here, I have some biblical helps up here that I brought along, and I guess I'd be remiss if I didn't put them out here because, man, I tell you what, these things are heavy. Um, but there are all kinds of little goodies that are out here and available today to the people who want to study the Bible. And whether it's, I have up here things like, um, for example, and I actually, I'll, I'll use this next week. I penned the word logos. You guys heard the word logos? What does that mean? It means, it means the word word. But that's not the only word logos means. And it is a masculine word, so we actually write it as ha logos. And that's how you enunciate it. It's logos. Versus logos. Some people use the word logos. That's not. That's incorrect. But you won't get there. That's just. That's been commercialized. It's logos. And when you look at that word, there's. If we look at some of our text here, you can go here and look at, in the theological dictionary of the New Testament. You can look up that word, and you're going to have about sixty-five to seventy pages worth of little goodies on that in really small print to discuss the meaning of that word. You're like, whoa. Yes, people make books on just a word. And so, and they, make, they sell them and they're not cheap. But the reality is, there are a lot of these books that'll help you understand words. But as we go through the words and you get a working handle, you'll be able to use these kind of helps in a meaningful way. So you won't pick up and go, oh my, I can't do anything with that. You're going to go, yeah, giddy up. I'm all over it. And so, you're going to get to look at some biblical help. So I'm going to leave some of these helps up here. I have the Anchor, the Anchor Bible Dictionary. It's a really, really helpful resource. A lot of these are available online today. But I'll bring these again next week, and we'll spend a little more time talking about, as you go through it, how these will become part of your resources at home so that as you want to get to understand the Word of God better, you'll be properly equipped to do the work of God in a, in a way in which you can understand the scriptures. Okay.
did I cover too much tonight? Okay. It's okay. It, it was a lot, wasn't it? We did cover quite a bit. We covered quite a bit of territory. You think about all the things that we talked about already. Um, does everybody understand what they need to do bef- between now and next week with your little cards? They think, I didn't expect to have to do cards. Your cards are your friends. And you'll know if they're used because they'll be worn. Okay? <laughs> when you look at it, you go, I need to replace this card. Uh, that will happen. Um, but it's okay. Again, you will not be able to appreciate what you're doing until you have a handle on the alphabet. Just the way it is. And there's no getting around it. But you'll work on the alphabet again and again and again and again. Okay. We're going to close. If you would, you can stay here longer. But what I'm going to ask you to do is make sure... When you finish, please bring up the hole punches and put them in here. Please bring the pens and put them back in here because we're going to use these each and every week. The rings are for you to keep. You will need the rings again and again, and they'll be your friend. But next week, we'll begin to get into understanding how the Greek language was structured and help you begin to start working through. And then I'm going to keep throwing you some little tidbits to let you know that what you're doing is making a difference. Next week, we'll talk about Loga. Lagos and how that has value and, and the different types of notions of it. So you'll get that. Okay. Any last minute questions before you guys go? All right, Lord, thank you for the opportunity we had to talk about, Lord, the Greek language and what it can mean and how it can we apply to our lives. Lord, we are really blessed people. We are so blessed that we have so many resources today. Lord, I think... If some of the believers from centuries ago had these resources, they would be so envious of us. They would be so envious. We are so, so blessed. Help us take advantage of this time and um, help us to be diligent, Lord, and disciplined to spend 10, 15 minutes each day just looking over these cards, Lord, and, and helping that information sink into our minds so as we move on to other areas that are going to be a little more challenging We'll have a good foundation so that we can continue to learn and grow. And then the word of God will be amazing. It's going to jump off the page in new and exciting ways. And I get so excited about it. Um, Help these men and women to keep that in mind as they work through us. Because this is hard work, but it's definitely worth it. It's definitely worth it. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being at the session tonight. You all going to be here next week?